Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another little bit late episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books, a graphic novel, or sometimes just one issue if we're feeling lazy. <laughs> I am your host, Dallas. And I'm lazy. Exactly. <laughs> it's, yeah, I feel so bad. <laughs> Okay, why do I feel it's not my fault we got pushed back. First it was your fault, then it was my then it was Lexi's fault after. So that's why Lexi's not here. We had to kill her and then hide the body. So yeah. yeah. The I mean, the gall of all of us to have full time jobs. Yeah, and lives. It's just insane. No, it's no thank on, you. That's irresponsible. Mm-hmm. We should commit more fully just to this podcast. <laughs> I thought you could say we we should commit more crimes so we don't have to worry about the jobs. Also, are we committing crimes? We might be. Don't tell anyone. If Hello. Yes. If you have any crimes that are lucrative, <laughs> um, fill us in at thecomicscollective at gmail.com so mm-hmm. we can do those crimes. And exactly. Your vo- volume. Nice. Your episode will never be late ever again. <laughs> we're just, we're like um, a prank YouTube channel, except we record ourselves doing crimes. <laughs> The POV crime channel. Like, <laughs> hey, what's up? Uh, like and subscribe for more crimes. And it's just like the most asinine thing. We're stealing like road signs. Like you have to stop doing this. Yes. <laughs> just, I could use some. Decorate my decorate my bedroom. Perfect. That was like the decoration chic of senior year of high school. Dallas Taylor. Yeah. Was just road signs. There was a closed road sign. Mm-hmm. That me and my friends stole probably 17 times. Like, we stole it, <laughs> they'd replace it, we'd steal yep. it again. And finally, there was just a paper sign put up that said, we're all out of signs, please stop stealing it. Oh, my God. And we stole that motherfucker, too. You, you beautiful person. Can't believe they let you leave this country. Uh, honestly, I'm shocked. Yeah, everyone, I survived... Uh, being in Europe when a new strain of COVID was discovered, Woo! I leave the country and they say, it's the remix, baby. COVID-19 is in a battle with Lil Nas X to see how many times it can get remixed before we all lose interest. So I lost interest a long time ago. They can stop. It's exactly. Over. We've all heard the track. No one likes it. Yeah. And you got to meet Alfred in Paris. That was so cool. I did. Alfred is a lovely, lovely person. If you're listening to this, Alfred, I had a great time hanging out with you. And I truly think it's the funniest thing in the world that I met someone that lives in France before I met Anne in person. That is a deeply funny concept. You're breaking my heart. (laughs) Stuck in this fucking cornfield, I swear to God. Anne's out there living an episode of Smallville in a cornfield. Honestly, you have no idea how true that is. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyways, Dallas. And episode. Do, yeah, do the hand thing too. Little it's George the holiday Lucas season. The, the little George Lucas hands. It's the holiday season. Um, have to ask you, what are some of your favorite holiday stories of all time? All right. So I am a huge lover of Christmas movies. Mm-hmm. Um, 
They've been a part of my life forever. I think some of the all-time greats, uh, Elf, mm-hmm. is a movie that I once watched every day until June one year. Oh, my gosh. And my mom finally said, enough is enough. <laughs> We're putting it away until December. Oh, no. I love General Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Mm-hmm. I think that is a beautiful film. I like both of the first two Home Alone movies. Mm-hmm. I watched Lost in New York last night for my beautiful. first holiday movie of the season. You're like, that's my place. That's my home. A little bit. I I do think the name is a little misleading. If you can get lost in New York, you might be... You might deserve to be lost in New York, frankly. Oh my God, that's going to be me. <laughs> it's it's a grid system. You say like, hmm, 34 and 7. How would I get to 42 and 6? Like, it's not hard. It's it's math, though, and math scares me. It's, I've been to the Midwest. I've been to your area where they're like, all right, daggum, you're going to take a lift at the frog up to the tree. See, that the, makes sense. That frog's always there. It is. The roads are serpentine and confusing. <laughs> Roads built to houses instead of houses built to roads. Back-ass words. Back-ass. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I love Charlie Brown Christmas special. I'm a big fan of all the Charlie Brown specials. And there is a very specific book called The Night Before the Night Before Christmas. Wow. That a couple years ago we started reading with some close family friends on December 23rd. And it's just, it's really sweet and funny. It's about, like, the family rushing out to get last-minute presents, like, and just all of that madness. And I really like the tradition of it all. I'm right. a huge fan of Christmas traditions. It's it's one of my favorite things. I love how these stories especially put you in, like, just such a specific mood annually. And it's just, um, one of my favorite movies is The Santa Claus 2. I have to watch it every single year. And it just... It's ma- it's a movie about Christmas, about snow, but it makes me so warm, and I can just mm-hmm. sit there and watch that. That was my version of um, Elf for you. I was watching Santa Claus 2 all year round. Same with um, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, that stop-motion animation one. All those all those movies are mm-hmm. great. They're all so good. Just, there's, I've been listening to Christmas music all week, too. It's like just the pure emotional just like high that they give me is perfect it's perfection mariah carey's all i want for christmas begins to play and like a chill runs down my spine i'm like it's time i just found this new song this year it's called um i don't don't, (laughs) besides all the um spider-man songs i've been listening to because that entire album's on spotify it's called coming out for christmas and it's the best thing in the world because it's about um oh it's um crystal bowersock she was on american idol i think and she's coming out as bi to her parents and she's like bringing her girlfriend home and i thought it was so wholesome and cute i like Need that. more gay yuletide songs but yeah the christmas stuff has just always been there for me too it's just like you said tradition and it's fun and enjoyable and fortunately there's that in comics too but before we get into that have to ask x-men you know, Christmas and X-Men, they go together. That's why they call it X-Men. Yeah, that's what the X stands that's for. That's what the X stands for. It's Xavier Miss. Xavier Miss. <laughs> because we all want to miss Xavier. Yes. <laughs> Get him out of here. Get him out. Um, I love the X-Men. I love them. They're my favorite group of gays. Them and Glee are my two favorite groups of gays. Oh, Glee yes. is 
Glee is the best adaptation of the X-Men. I'm going to throw that out there. Oh, I want I want um Hugh Jackman to come back to play Wolverine just to do a Glee episode of an X-Men TV show. So I want funny. him to, to sing his freaking head off, and that would be fantastic. I mean, Glee has got it all. It's got a boring white guy you're supposed to care about, like Scott mm-hmm. Summers. Jack. It mm-hmm. has a very deeply bisexual and somewhat racially ambiguous woman mm-hmm. that is the most fascinating character but doesn't really get to shine until later on in the story mm-hmm. because, again, you're supposed to care about the love interest and equally boring white lady that is dating Finn. Let alone, she can't sing. She has no charisma, but she is blonde and the girlfriend of Finn. I mean, Scott and Jean, if I've ever heard of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a plucky little Jewish girl right at the front. Uh, <laughs> that's the X-Men. I mean, come on. That's the X-Men. <laughs> Summarized perfectly. That's every every <laughs> incarnation. <laughs> Just, that is, there it is. The, the Holy Trinity. <laughs> Bunch of, yeah. Yeah, um, you have someone named Kurt that the people hate. <laughs> Who hates Kurt? No, hold up, hold up. Nightcrawler did nothing. Other I, Kurt I, mean, I can't comment on. I mean, like, his whole origin is, like, people screaming, like, ah, get him out of this place. Okay, okay fair. I thought his, his whole origin is his mother chucking him off of, off of a waterfall, so, you know, same thing. Also true. Kurt Hummel's mom died, so basically it's equal. 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 Mother dying is equal to yeeting the baby. Same thing. I mean, according to laws in the state of Texas, roughly the same. Oh, snap. Sad burn. Ooh, it stings. It stings my insides. It stings because it's true. Sorry to our listeners in Texas. Your state is wild to me. And, and I grew up in Utah, so that's an even worse burn. <laughs> if I think you're back ass words, I'm from Utah, so. Oh. Yeehaw. Yippee ki yay. Um, <laughs> yeah, back to the X-Men. Back to the Do you X-Men. have any favorite X-Men stories? Um, I mean, I know everybody likes to meme it because our dear girl Kitty says some racial slurs but like god loves man kills blew my mind the first time i read it and every time since i've read it i've been like oh there's a reason this is like one oh, of the yeah. essential x-men stories mm-hmm. okay this rules um the dark phoenix saga lives up to the hype it's camp as hell it's wonderful beautiful uh, e is for extinction that first four issues of grant morrison and frank quietly on mm-hmm. the x-men it's marvelous, baby. It is untouched in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, House of X, Powers of Ten was a watershed moment. I House remember, of Ten, Powers of X. I will end your whole career. <laughs> uh, the classic Hawks Pox paradigm. Um, I am a huge fan of anytime they go to the Savage Land. That rules pretty hard. The original X-Men movies were a huge part of my childhood. X1 and X2, watch the crap out of them. X3, watch it a few times less, but also watch the crap out of it. (laughs) I will never forget 
how visceral like Angel cutting off his wings was to me as oh a child. Oh my gosh. Like seeing like the feathers and the blood. I remember as a kid just being like, I don't really understand the symbolism of what's going on, but I know it's evocative and like this will stay with me forever. Uh, what about you? What is, what's your relationship like with the X-Men? Say my relationship with the X-Men is so weird because I got into them with those movies. Those movies were what mm-hmm. brought me in and X-Men evolution, the TV show. I started watching that at the same time. And the reason I started watching that show is because I found it so much more accessible than the comics were. Mm. Cause at the same time I was getting in the movies, I tried to give the comics a whirl, but that time that, that moment in history was when the X-Men were going through the decimation. So I picked up, I think like, um, mutant Messiah and, um, it was the, um, why am I thinking the one where hope is born? Uh, Messiah complex. Oh, that's what I'm th- not mutant Messiah, Messiah complex. That was the book I picked up and I'm reading it. And I'm looking at all these characters. I'm like, I have no idea who any of these people are, what's going on, why everyone's freaking out. This is the most confusing thing I've ever picked up in my life. And I tried to pick up a visual dictionary because I had that Spider-Man one that really Mm -hmm. helped me with him and his villains. So I'm like, oh, maybe the X-Men one will do the same. Nope. Apocalypse is some nonsense. And so is everyone else. (laughs) I have read so many X-Men comics, and I still couldn't really explain to you what Apocalypse's power is. (laughs) Like gun, power. gun, gun to my head. Couldn't, couldn't break it down. Yep. That's, that's about the way it is for me too. I just, whenever I'm reading a comic with apocalypse in it, I just kind of accept that he's doing whatever he's doing. It's like, mm-hmm. if he wanted to anamorph into like the Thanos copter, I'd be like, yep, that's apocalypse. That's what he does. That's a big part of X-Men. I think X-Men is like the quintessential comic because you truly just have to go with the flow. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. All the time. You have to just accept, like, I hope this makes sense down the line because mm-hmm. I do not know. I do not understand what is happening. There was a – I got to a point eventually where I started to catch on to some things. Like, um, when I started picking up comics regularly, I remember X-Men Schism, that Jason Aaron story. That remains one of my favorite X-Men stories because I really liked the – um just Wolverine looking at everything they were doing and going, what the hell are we doing with teaching these kids to be soldiers? That's not what they should be doing. These kids should be out being kids. And, you know, you can debate all day long whether Cyclops or Wolverine was right there. It was such an engaging dynamic that just drew me in. And that was one of my first favorite X-Men stories. I followed them through Marvel now because I don't want to say it's because Bendis was writing them, but they were definitely a little easier to follow around then. It was definitely a little simpler after AVX. The status quo was existent in some way. There wasn't too much shenanigans. But I think it was, you know, House of X and Powers of Ten that really (laughs) brought me back in and were like, okay, you can be a fan of the X-Men. You can understand what's happening. Also, shout out to Cerebrocast for also making sure I could understand what's happening. That podcast is unparalleled. Oh, yeah. Con- the, the work that Connor does with Cerebro is inspiring and fun. That is my personal favorite podcast, and I make a podcast. I am not my own favorite podcast. <laughs> I Is anyone their own favorite podcast? There, no way. There can't be. I will never forget Aziz Ansari talking about the time he went to go visit Kanye West, and Kanye <laughs> was listening to his own music. No. And Aziz was like, is this you? And Kanye went, yep, the track goes hard. And Aziz was like, that might be my favorite thing I've ever heard in my whole life. 
honestly, that's kind of how I feel editing this podcast sometimes. I'm like, mm-hmm. the track goes hard. What can I say? <laughs> Losing my goddamn mind. <laughs> so to Which... be fair, that's me recommending this to everyone. This is me going up to my grandpa- grandparents and saying, you should listen to our podcast. You won't understand it, but it goes hard. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like the vibes are immaculate, Grandma. Exactly. So I important X-Men question, which X-Men would listen to their own music like Kanye West? Oh, um, Quentin Choir. True. Very true. I was going to say Monet definitely yes. listens to her oh, own yeah. music, unironically. <laughs> unironically. And she, she like bobs her, bobs her head oh, along. Yeah, yeah, and she's yeah. like, she's like doing her little, like, like wiggle in her seat. She's like, yeah, this shit's good. I and there, this. like, there are very few other artists on her playlists. Oh yeah. Like, no, no. It's she's all she needs. Exactly. <laughs> Quentin Choir, though, he's the one who bops it at every party he goes to. He goes up to the DJ and specifically requests his own song and goes freaking nuts every time. Guaranteed. 100%. He also, like, is really waiting for someone to ask, who is this? Like, what what musician (laughs) is this? He's like, my time has come. And he's like, oh, uh, it's ah, this really cool little pink-haired guy. He used to be a neo-Nazi, but now he's kind of like a himbo BF. (laughs) And everyone's like, Mr. Sinister? Mr. <laughs> yeah, it's happened twice in the X-Men. Which isn't a lot, but it's crazy that it's happened, it's happened twice. twice. Oh, give give Mr. Sinister pink hair, please. Uh, I'll give him some of his teeth back after today's issue of Hellions. But... Oh, I need to read that. Don't, no spoilers. No, don't tell me. It's good. I don't think it's a spoiler to say Mr. Sinister gets beat up in like every issue of that series. Oh yeah, At, deserved. Yeah. Honestly, deserved. So true. I uh, I think I like my Mr. Sinister how I like my Lucille Bluth. Mm-hmm. I like him funny but deeply terrible, and I think Zeb Wells nails that tone. Perfect. But we are we are getting off of. The yeah, era of I was gonna X-Men say, we're going to. Pulling back to thinking about like my experience with the X-Men, even though I was confused, they do bring me warm fuzzies because it reminds me of that time in my life where I was like really excited to get into nerdy stuff. And, you know, just watching X-Men Evolutions, one of my favorite experiences ever. And reading X-Men comics always takes me back to that. So I think that in that way, this X-Men for me has a very similar effect as a lot of Christmas movies and songs. They just take me back to a nice simpler time where I didn't have to worry about paying rent or student loans or any of that nonsense and which is very good because today's issue uncanny x-men number 143 is the combination of both of those wonderful things and makes me feel all the warm fuzzies it's it's both those things plus alien so another part of my childhood which is very welcome in this issue it's perfect it's the perfect issue of x-men it Mm -hmm. Kicks all the boring grown-ups out, and you just have straight Kitty Pride to the veins. I I love Kitty Pride. I'm a huge Kitty Pride fan. I am too. And I am gonna call her Kitty for this whole show because this is when the she era was Kitty. She's in. She's Kitty right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I call her Kate when she's a grown-up and calls herself Kate. I'm gonna call her Kitty when she's Kitty. Exactly. She's Kitty right now. Um. And so for anyone that is unaware, I would highly recommend reading this issue because it's not, there's not really a great way to like sum up this issue other than like, it's alien. 
Chris Claremont literally watched Alien and was like, damn, that goes pretty hard. Yeah, uh, it even ends the same way, too. It does. He's like, what if I wrote an issue that was just Alien, but it was the Christmas special? And if that sounds fun to you, if the movie Alien starring Kitty Pride at Christmas sounds fun to you, this issue is only going to take you like 70, 80 minutes tops to read all of the Chris, Mon- Chris Claremont dialogue. <laughs> and then you can come back and listen to us. It's it's a vibe, baby. It's a vibe. This... It's... No, you, you. I was going to say, it's it feels like a hodgepodge of things that shouldn't work together, but they really do. And it's just. I don't know how he came to this conclusion that you need an alien at Christmas, but I'm very, very glad it happened because it's at the same time horrifying, but it's gain to see Kate, specifically Kate in this situation. I went back to calling her Kate. You know what? She's Kitty or Kate. It's interchangeable. It's the same person. (laughs) (laughs) The little horror at Christmas is such a nice little change of pace from what you would expect, especially from an X-Men comic. The X-Men are like, we're all about social justice issues unless we're talking about aliens this week. And Mm -hmm. to bring the aliens in for the Christmas special with the Jewish character, it's like the trifecta of crazy. And I am so here for it. It is deeply funny to me that the the setup for this is that all the other good Christian X-Men had (laughs) Christmas plans. And so they all load up and they leave the 13-year-old alone at Christmas because they're like, well, she's Jewish. She doesn't have any Christmas plans. We'll leave her at the mansion. And they and, skedaddle on out of there in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. In a heart. She's, yeah. This and, whole mansion to herself. And I think the idea of, like, literalizing that sense of horror of, like, being that age home alone is a little bit scary. Because you're old enough that you're going to start getting left home alone. Mm-hmm. You aren't going to have a babysitter. You want to feel all grown up. I remember this feeling, but like, it's still a little scary. If anything actually goes wrong, you kind of know you're fucked as a 13 year old, you know, <laughs> as much as you want to believe that you're the home alone kid, you're not. You're a little dingus named Dallas living in the suburbs and you're done for. And so to take those feelings that Kitty verbalizes of uh, being a little homesick being a little scared, feeling a little left out, because really she just joined the X-Men like 10 issues ago. She's mm-hmm. she's brand spanking new. And to make that a literal xenomorph threat is... A little intense, it's honestly. A little, it's a little intense, a little on the head, but it is deeply X-Men. The X-Men love to take like an existential issue and give it a literal face. And I think that's why, for me, this Christmas special works so well. Because it does that in one of the most fun ways. Possible. It's, it's, you keep bringing up Home Alone, and I just keep thinking, this issue would actually probably be better if Kitty Home alone this alien and just started putting up traps around the house that it kept stumbling into. That would have been perfection. But of course, Home Alone hadn't come out yet, so Chris couldn't have borrowed from that script. Exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, like, what do you think it is about this mix that works so well? I, see, that's the thing. I've been thinking about it since I read it, because I just, it's one of those covers, you look at the cover for this, it's absolutely gorgeous, just because of the zaniness Mm -hmm. of it, and you're looking at this, and you just, 
the first thing I think is, okay, why? I thought mm-hmm. it was, someone brought it up on Twitter too, and I thought it was a member of the brood at first, but it's not even that. It's a random alien that they fought like 50 issues ago that they, is it even an alien or is it a demon? It's a demon. So yeah. like four issues into Chris Claremont's run, they fought some demons, Storm kicked their ass as Storm is wont to do. Mm-hmm. And then randomly, one of them is just like, I survived. And now I'm going to go and kill the little girl. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's, and in that way, it's even more random than it would be if it was, you know, even a member of the brood. But I think that's why it works so well as a standalone, just because it's a one off. It's no, nothing that happens to this issue you need to worry about later, except for something that you're going to talk about in a little bit. And that's just in the way that this issue set up with Kitty. But overall, the the parts that happen, the plot, just Kitty being by herself at Christmas, demon showing up, Kitty beating demon on the surface that has no lasting effect because the demon was done and it's done again. It's not going to come back a third time, at least I think. Uh, I don't think it does, but I have not read the entire run, so... You're telling me you haven't read all of Uncanny X-Men? It's only, like, five issues. It's only, like, the entire bottom shelf of my bookshelf. (laughs) Chris Claremont wrote a lot of X-Men, folks. A little bit. 17 years. How about you? What do you think makes this issue really work? I honestly think... I love a one-shot, frankly, mm-hmm. and I think that this comic, being from the era that it is, 1981, it is a dense comic that gives you an entire story. I also think it ticks a lot of my boxes. I love the original Alien. I mm-hmm. think that's a perfect horror movie, frankly, and so to just judge that up a little bit with X-Men and Christmas, I was a mark for that. Come on, <laughs> it was fun. I also think... It's just like, it's a very fun and zany introduction to Kitty as the main character of the X-Men moving Mm -hmm. forward. That to literally shuffle everybody else off and to demonstrate to you, the reader, that that an alien isn't going to be able to mess with Kitty. The Kitty Mm -hmm. can solve problems just like Mm -hmm. the rest of the X-Men. And I think like drawing on Alien is Mm -hmm. smart because that's a movie that in the cultural zeitgeist, people already associated with, like, being a badass woman. I remember as a little boy, like, the two moments for me that were really strong, like, women are badass, was Alien yeah. and Metroid. When Samus took off her helmet <laughs> and I realized I'd been a girl the whole game, I was like, wow, this is nuts. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Oh, that's, that's, I had the same experience, except, except I started playing, it was um, in Smash Bros, and I was playing um the... Super Smash Bros. Brawl for the Wii, and she does her mm-hmm. alt, and then she pops out as Zero Suit Samus. I'm like, wait, hold up, what? Samus is who now? And then I started playing the character more, but that's besides the point. Anyway, <laughs> you brought up um an interesting part about how the switch, you know, over to Kitty's point of view and how this was really about her. I think that's really where the theme of all all of these three things come together. It's this coming of age story for Kitty specifically, and I think that's why the Christmas setting is actually important because christmas is normally in the holiday season for like everyone is typically a moment where you like come together with family loved ones it's usually a time where you're surrounded by people you know at least that's the the idea 
some people like to spend holidays alone. Some people do spend their holidays alone. But overall, the the general like consensus is like holidays, time for family, right? So mm-hmm. the fact that Kitty is left on her own, the first thing she does after she's left on her own is she goes downstairs to start training because she's like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to have to keep working harder to be an X-Men because that's what I'm here to do. And it's like this young woman who's just so determined to prove herself and she's an X-Men who already on top of just being the youngest member of the team has on the surface, the least offensive, like physically power. She just phases through things. That's what she does. She goes ghost. And it's easy for people to look at that and say like, Oh, she's the weakest X-Men. Cause her powers can't, you know, she can't shoot concussive blasts out of her eyes or, um, tear ships apart with her mind. She just goes soft every once in a while and just loop through walls. That's that's what Kitty does. So to put her in the situation where she's on her own on this time where she really doesn't feel like she should be up against a literal demon, one of the like scariest enemies you could possibly think of for just about anyone who's home alone in the middle of the night. And have her rise out of this, you know, standing tall, standing triumphant to the point where she's no longer training. She's just relaxed, drinking hot chocolate in the seat by the fire because she's like she's gone through this whole journey where she's like, I don't need to prove myself. I can just take the night off and relax by myself because, you know, I just took out a demon by myself. So I thought that was the little thread that carries this is just Kitty's journey from. Sorry. Kitty's journey from young, unassuming girl to young, confident woman. And we see more of that as the series goes on past this. But you brought up this is like the point where that shift happens, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so Kitty is introduced in the Dark Phoenix saga. The protagonist of Uncanny X-Men up to that point, Jean Grey, mm-hmm. is killed. Her love interest and other protagonist, Scott Summers pouts and goes off into the distance (laughs) until you can find a new woman to make his whole identity Mm -hmm. and the point of view shifts to predominantly two characters storm and kitty pride and kitty pride becomes the point of view character for the reader and at this point I mean, comics are skewed a little older right now, but, like, 13 years old is, like, the ideal age for someone to be reading this. It's the target demographic. And I think something that's really revolutionary that Chris Claremont does is he makes that POV character not 15-year-old Peter Parker, but 13-year-old Kitty Pride, who is smart and plucky, and she's all the things that these readers want to be and she's a young teenage girl i i think it's hard to to evaluate properly how huge that was in 1981 and how huge it remains it's still a battle to make anyone that isn't a straight white dude your pov character right and a character like kitty pride paved a path that has allowed so many other significant important characters to to exist because she demonstrated no people are going to like a good character just because she's a good character Mm -hmm. right and i think this issue did a lot to sell kitty 
you her first solo outing you get to have one of the best little single issue adventures that chris claremont had written to date all starring her and it's pretty hard to walk away from this issue not feeling like kitty pride might be one of your favorite x-men yeah that's she's she's always been one of my favorites too and this it's just such a good moment for I love how ingenious she is throughout this whole thing, just trying to get away from this alien. I love the moment where she uses her powers to walk on air, too. I talked mm, about that on mm-hmm. Twitter a little bit. And, like, that's something that actually makes a lot of sense. Because if you think about it, if she phased completely, she'd, like, fall through the floor all the time. So she has to keep, like, a little of herself solid. So wouldn't it make sense that she could just kind of do that all the time and just walk up invisible stairs, which has to, you know, in theory, look absolutely ridiculous. But I love just... I keep going back. It's such a simple moment when she's running down the stairs and she's like, if I just fall right here, I can sink into the, um, the, the, um, spot, the space under the stairs and it'll have no idea where I went. My scent will just stop. So I can just get in there and hide. And it's only when she peeks back out that the demon actually finds her. So I'm like, no, that would have worked. You were fine. Stay where you were. And I just, the way it's depicted too, where she's halfway through the stairs I just it's it's a small moment, but I just I really love it. I really love that they gave Kitty so much to stand out here. And when the issue started with her going over the Blackbird with um, Professor X so many times until she got it, the fact they brought that back in at the end to be the reason she actually ends up killing the demon. It's like poetry. It rhymes. It rhymes. It rhymes. (laughs) It's she's just lovable and it, she's she's definitely one of those characters you could feel that chris claremont loved very very dearly and most of the time did her really really <laughs> did her justice slips she's... slips a couple times but chris claremont is for anyone that hasn't read a, a big chunk of chris claremont comics chris claremont wants to do right so bad and definitely oversteps sometimes mm-hmm. I I don't know. Maybe I'm making excuses for a, another white guy, but like it does feel like it's coming from a place of love. Just kind of yeah. like, ooh, Chris, that ooh, not not your best thing. It doesn't always age perfectly. I keep thinking about that moment, that specific moment from you know, God loves man kills, and I'm like, I can't believe that he got that through Marvel editorial, but he couldn't get a single gay through. He not tried his best. One. The gays, <laughs> no. Racial slurs, absolutely, go for it absolutely throw it in this is important stuff (laughs) it makes a point about society kitty pride lives in a society (laughs) oh i i don't know i i think it's it's just revolutionary as well because to make kitty pride the the main character of the x-men shows what kind of book it's going to be moving forward. I think the real power of the X-Men is that it's not an act it's not an action sci-fi book. It's not a fantasy book. It is all those things. But first mm-hmm. and foremost, it is a character drama soap opera. I think that, that that's what made it go for 17 oh, years. Yeah. That's what's made it exciting again in this era is it feels like they understand that again that we want the drama we all want to get on and pine over these relationships Mm -hmm. we want all the things that a point of view character like kitty pride brings to the x-men because like you said her power isn't big flashy strong 
She isn't going to solve problems with her fists. She's going to solve it with her brains. And she is going to give us a viewpoint that we're not necessarily used to, which becomes another huge tentpole of the Mm X-Men, is providing a point of view you might not otherwise get without reading the X-Men. Right. And I love that the fact that she's younger, too, you brought it up just appealing to that younger demographic. I think it's something they need to play on so much more. It's every, especially like young adults reading things, they want to get that escapism. They want to find the place they can go. If you can get a young adult to like pick this up, identify with Kitty Pride, and say like, this is the place I want to go. This is the school I would like to go to. Because that's what I felt watching X-Men Evolutions. I'm like, this is what I wish my life was. Because, you know, forget bigotry. You just want to go to the cool school with superpowers. Mm-hmm. It's something that just clicks with you that sense of like belonging and the sense of anyone can find themselves in this place and i think that's very important i yeah i think that's beautiful and i think it's also beautiful that kitty has to work hard to feel at home you know and just Mm -hmm. like just the next issue after this there's immediately like a misunderstanding where nightcrawler and wolverine tease kitty about all the damage she did and like it hurts her feelings and she runs <laughs> off and it's like yeah that is ha- a little bit how it is though you know like oh, yeah. that's what it feels like to be 13 is if a single adult looks at me and acknowledges <laughs> i exist i will cry i'm still there i'm still in that face yeah yeah i i truly am that same little boy you know i want to talk just a second before we get on to anything else the artwork in this series i love classic artwork like this and it's um it was john byrne it says chris claremont and john byrne did the um penciling and terry austin did the inks i just think the classic comics are so smooth especially in coloring i love the um the little just how solid the blacks look the colors pop so well and i keep thinking back to the scenes where like the, the background of the panels change colors Especially the scene where the demon pops up in front of Kitty for the first time. It's just this giant purple trapezoid to make mm-hmm. things like mm-hmm. striking and shocking. And the little bits where he'll just flash red in the background for no reason. I It's small little things that don't happen as much anymore. But they definitely add to the mood of the story, I think. And they're just, it's pretty to look at. It's classic for a reason. Yeah, I I super agree. This book is definitely an artifact of the sort of classic comics Mm -hmm. and something you brought up before we got on air is that we have read predominantly modern comics and even modern in like the post fraction, aha Hawkeye era, Mm -hmm. which we'll talk about next week. (laughs) Uh, Spoiler everybody, but we are used to really decompress stories. We're used Mm -hmm. to light dialogue, snappy dialogue. um, And that is not what this is this the the word overwrought could very easily be applied to this sort of classic 1980s chris claremont comic book but it's a style in and of itself it's a style that i love Mm -hmm. i love the narration i love the thought bubbles i love that at any given moment you know exactly what everybody is thinking at any given time i i don't know it just it feels Mm -hmm. immediately like a classic comic book and it transports me in a way Mm -hmm. that sometimes modern comics don't. But what are, what are your thoughts about 
the it's, classic comics. Reading classic comics like this, it takes me a minute to get into because there's a part of me that likes the like, just I don't want to say ambiguity of it, but I like the fact that not all character motivations are always explained. I like the fact that they the writers trust the artist enough to like say like, hey, if a character is going to do this, I want you to imply this just with like a look or just with emotion, and it's something that you can pick up on, and it takes advantage of both sides of the story. So that the artwork can express more than just like point A to B action, just like do more than the bam pow. And I think that's a benefit of modern comics. I think it allows for more mature storytelling because I think it lets you put more emphasis on like focusing on that dialogue, making sure it's smart, making sure it's witty, making sure like a point's actually coming across. But I do like the intimacy of like these older comics. Cause like, like just looking at this panel, this page, there's like, seven panels and each one has at least two thought bubbles and they all feel like a paragraph long and you get to know everything this character is thinking but it lets you understand them very very well you understand exactly what their fears are exactly what's happening nothing's left like up to debate like when the demon scratches her and she explains like well, it didn't physically hurt me but it like felt like it was ripping through my soul or something like that that's something that like in a modern comic, they might have just shown it and like her express for just a minute that it hurt, but then move on past it because the pacing of the story has to stay consistent. These were comics that were happy to have a slow pace and to let that one issue just kind of simmer and burn. And I think that's definitely something that was I wouldn't I'm not even sure if I would say it's lost in modern comics. Because I think they achieve the same thing just two different ways. And it takes a little bit of a switch in my brain to go between the two sometimes. I agree. I also think sometimes it helps me to adjust my mind Mm -hmm. where when it takes me so much longer to read a classic issue of something, sometimes I feel like, oh, my gosh, like I'm never going to get through this. You know what I mean? Um, And... That, but I kind of have to reframe where, like, I have accepted with a modern comic, if I want a full story, I'm going to have to read a trade paperback. I'm going to have to read six issues. And that's going to take me an hour, you know? Or I can read one to two classic issues, mm-hmm. which will similarly take me about an hour, but that's the whole story, you know? In Stan Lee and Steve Ditko's greatest story, If This Be My Destiny, it's three issues long. But it's arguably one of the best Spider-Man stories of all time. You know, it takes you about an hour to read. You get all these stakes, these ups and downs. And so this single issue of Kitty Pride running from this alien, it might feel a little slow. It might feel a little overwrought. But I think all of the same magic of comic books is there. But I do, I really, I super agree with what you said about like the intimacy of living in the heads of these characters I think there's a reason that these characters have stood the test of time and why they are so beloved. And it's because we, we've literally spent more time with them than Mm -hmm. we have any of these modern characters. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I understand fully who Peter Parker is as a person, who Kitty Pride is as a person, who Aurora is as a person, you know, because of these thought balloons because they are explaining to me who they are Mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. 
But it's good that we do have that because it lets them be building blocks for the new characters. It lets them kind of take that backseat and lets the new characters bounce off them. Because once you have that solid framework, you understand how these characters are always, almost always going to react. And that gives you a place to build from. And I think that's why we have still have so many new and iconic characters coming out like every year from the X-Men line. It's just there's such a solid place for them to start. And I'm not sure if it would have been that if they had told these comics any other way. I agree. And yeah, there's just a lot indebted to these comics that makes my heart happy. You know, every the modern characters that I love, I feel like exist because Kitty Pride exists. Mm-hmm. Um, the character that jumps to mind for me is Kamala Khan. I love Miss Marvel. I love that original run of Miss Marvel. Oh, by yeah. G. Willow Wilson. Mm-hmm. Those 10 trade paperbacks are have been read many, many, many times. And I feel like I know Kamala because she is treated like Kitty. We get to see her inner workings. We get to see her family. We get to see how she feels about the events that happen around her. And that's a trend that's begun with this story we read today. And so I will forever feel indebted and thankful for this specific era of Mm X-Men because it gave me that. Isn't it amazing looking at like just one single comic, like this came out just, it's just one comic, one month, one week, one day, a single issue, 23 pages long. And it just set the stage for so much to come, whether they knew it at the time or not, or whether everyone now looking back knows it or not. It's just so much that we enjoy can come from so little and I think that's an incredible power. That's an incredible gift. Yeah. I. It's great. It really is. Um, my one question for you coming out of this, Anne, is what do you think is Kitty Pride's X factor that makes her such a beloved character? A lot of people Ooh. cite her as their favorite ex-person. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the reason for that? I I kind of want to... This is a hard one. I almost want to say that she has like the... Um, did you ever watch Happy Days? I was going to say she kind of feels like the Joni to me. Like she's the character that we knew as this kid, but we got to watch her grow up and see her go through all the different phases in her life. And that just, the more time you spend with a character, just naturally you're going to cling to them more. And any character, I think that comics readers have seen grow up, they're going to cling to more. And I think that's one of the reasons like, um, cause it's, it's an experience that's shared. It's an experience that endears you to them and makes them feel like family to you because you get to watch your own family grow and change and if you watch a character grow and change, it's going to be the same. You get to see where they started, all the hardships they faced along the way, and be proud of the person they are now. And I think it's one of the reasons why people react so negatively towards just aging up characters like, you know, John Kent. Because there's a magic in seeing these characters start one way and grow into something different. And I think that's what Kitty has. I think undoubtedly. I don't know if there's another X-Men who's even kind of close to what she's given us. Yeah, I I agree with that wholeheartedly. Say so my question for you, and I'm looking at the um the questions that were sent in, just to make sure I'm not stepping on any toes here. But if you had to do 
a modern remake of this comic. Let's say like a modern homage. Which young mutant do you think would fit this role very well? Just someone home alone on, I don't know, Krakoa. And just, um, let's say we did Alien already. So let's say like the Predator shows up. (laughs) And it's just um, hunting one single mutant. Who do you think, who are you picking for your next Christmas special? I mean, Gabby Kinney is going to be the perfect Home Alone with the Predator kid. Oh, my God. Gabby Kinney, get Vita Ayala on the line. Vita, I will not sue. Please please give me Gabby Kinney versus the Predator Home Alone Christmas special. It's iconic. It's beautiful. She would kick his ass. She would be spunky and hilarious. She would have the best traps. It's Mm -hmm. perfect. And Jonathan the Wolverine in there too. Let's do it. Oh my Best gosh. adventure. That's the best adventure. That is an all-timer issue right there. Mwah. Uh, Mwah. Beautiful. Be- Chef's kiss. <laughs> thank you for that was that's all I'm gonna be thinking about now. So thank you for giving me something I can't have. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for pulling that out of me. I didn't know that was inside until that question. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. I I reveal your inner dark secrets that hurt me. Exactly. Perfect. All right. Should we do some listener questions? Let's do some listener questions. Okay. First up, Mr. Glenn Machette writes, Hi, fellow flesh beings. What what an opener there, Glenn. (laughs) The only thing I know about this character is that Kitty slash Kate Pride is on the cover. Nice. Kate is one of the few comic characters where religion is a big part of her character. Most characters, it's pretty vague, but which characters can you lovely folks think of where their religion is intrinsic to their character? Also, ask Anne if she knows what living with death is yet. Yes, I do, Glenn. We talked about this. Thank you very much. You asked me the last time. Stop putting me on the spot like this. All right, so religion for characters. Let's say even outside of comic books, Mm -hmm. even though I'm probably just going to name comic book examples. (laughs) But the one that springs to mind is like the Catholicism of Daredevil is always a very big deal. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I would say the Judaism of Peter Parker is a pretty big deal, but Marvel are cowards. Marvel doesn't agree. And won't give that to me. Please. Let Let me have it. I'm trying to think. There's a few I can think of. We brought up um, Kamala Khan earlier, and I'm not sure if her religion is as strong to, like, a point to her as it is to, like, Daredevil, per se. But I, it's one of the few that I can think of, like, instantly that's where my mind goes. And I also think of, um, what is um, Dust, Dust's name from New X-Men? Mm-hmm. Mm, ooh, I would have known if you I didn't it's ask. Soraya. Soraya, yes. Soraya, yes, yeah. yes. Hers, I remember very specifically because her, in the the first couple arcs of that story, her and um, what's it's it's not Jolt, um, Surge, yeah, Surge, her and Surge had a lot of confrontations about their difference in like religion because Surge was very much very very ignorant about how like 
um, the Islamic culture was, and she was very, very Islamophobic about it for a while. But it's just that's the first one I could think of because that was a one of the earlier windows I could think of to a different culture besides just like Christianity and that I remembered reading in comics. Yeah. Um, I definitely have a really big soft spot for like religion and comic books. Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder why it's yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. How curious I, I grew up within, uh, like an uncommon religious tradition, uh, growing Mm -hmm. up as a Mormon and I, I still am a Mormon. So shout out any listeners. But <laughs> it's it's something that really, I feel like, shapes you as a person. And for good or ill, I think there, there's trauma that comes with religion. There's, like, these really soaring high points that come with religion. Mm-hmm. And everybody has a different relationship with that. But for me, it's something that will never not be a part of me, regardless of, like, how my practicing of said religion is. Like, I will have always grown up that way. I will always carry that with me. And so I think it's really impactful to me to see the characters that I imprint on doing that as well, right? Like Kitty Pride, regardless of what her relationship with Judaism is like at any given moment, it does shape who she is as a person. Mm-hmm. And that that's something that makes me feel seen in comic books. And so I'm very grateful for characters like Kitty Pride, like Matt Murdock, like Kamala Khan, who I feel like I have to see navigate a life of faith with just living in the real world. I don't know. It makes me happy. It makes me feel seen. Yeah. And that's the whole point of fiction, I think. The whole point. Everyone deserves a force. Especially me. Anyway. (laughs) You're like, especially me. Now to, anyways. Anyway. Back to me. Back to me in the studio. The next question comes from the ever-wonderful Evan Von Doom from a friendly little podcast that I do called What's Next, a comic book podcast. Yeah. Uh, He's my co-host on that. He's a great guy. It's a really, really great podcast. Everyone should go listen to it. Oh, hey, thanks. Um, (laughs) That's what we listened to when we were setting up for Thanksgiving dinner. My mom was very interested in reading the Flintstones. It's so good. And you have to get it for her. Mark Russell. Have you read the Flintstones by Mark Russell? A couple issues. I haven't read the whole thing. Well, in February, I'm going to change that. And when that hardcover comes out, I'm going to make it everyone's problem. I love that series. All right. Evan writes. This was one of my first X-Men stories and the reason I fell in love with Kitty. So very excited to hear your thoughts. Evan, I hope you liked our thoughts. We love, I personally love this issue. I I did too. And liked it too. Yeah, I did. Question. If you could rip off a famous horror movie for an X-Men story, which horror movie would you choose and which X-Men would be involved? That's... Do you have one off the top of your head? I, I'm still thinking about it. All right. So first things first, greatest horror movie of all time, Scream. Um, just I have a lot of favorite horror movies, but the one that comes to mind is Scream. I think the blend of like humor and horror and just I love slashers. I think that'd be really fun to do an homage to that on Krakoa or at the mansion, wherever you want to do it. And I think our 
last girl has got to be ooh probably Esme Cuckoo and behind <laughs> behind the screen mask is Quentin Quire that would be I'm just picturing like what if it's just the cuckoos it's just all the cuckoos it's the cuckoos scream. are the cast of scream and Quentin <laughs> is behind that stupid mask and glob is also behind the mask so I guess spoilers for scream it is a very old movie but and you'll be like wait how did I not notice that it was glob under there it's like it was well. so obvious it, he had pink goo poking out how did I not see it I think, you know, you, you you said the word slasher and it like hit me. It's like, what if we had a slasher where the killer was one of the Wolverine family uh, and they're trying to figure out who it is? It's like so, so fun. Yeah. I heard a snicked and then bleh, that's it. Bleh. Bleh. <laughs> that feels like something that that like like maybe um akihiro just does is like a halloween gag it's just like i'm gonna go around and just stab a few people just i mean we can bring them back so what what's the point a murder mystery party with all of the healing factor mutants hosted by the wolverine family hosted logan does not want to be there (laughs) he does Gabby was the one who threw it all together she had to bring everyone they fought tooth and nail but they did it because gabby because Gabby and she like she holds it over her head she's like I was recently dead you assholes you have to give me this <laughs> you know we thinking about like just different horror movies there's already so many that play into um X-Men we already have the aliens they're the brood we already have Terminator that's the freaking sentinels that keep coming back in time to to kill everyone um I mean, also Cable. Cable is also just Cable. the Terminator. He is the Terminator. He's no, he's John Connor. Everyone else is the is the Terminator. Oh, but um, we brought up Predator earlier. What about like a Predator versus Danny Moonstar? Or did I say her name? Moonstone? Sorry. Moonstar. Moonstar. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why I blanked on that. I love Danny. She's pretty great. That would be fun. Um. Honestly, all the new mutants. I feel like the new mutants are very set up to be horror stars, which would be have fun. you have you seen the autopsy of Jane Doe? No. Watch the autopsy of Jane Doe. It's one of my favorite horror movies of the last decade. It's so good. It's like one of those movies that's really good the first time you watch it because the mystery is so thick. But I was thinking, like, that's what the trial of Magneto should have been. They should have been, like, trying to figure out how Scarlet Witch died, and then all these witchy things start happening, and they like, oh, no, she's killing us from the grave. And that's that's basically what the autopsy of Jane Doe is. It's just dead witch doing dead witchy things, and it's great. Ooh. I'll put it on the list. All right. Uh, I think we've we've hit that question pretty well. We've hit that question. You can read it, because, um, yeah, <laughs> I love Connor. Uh, this is so great. <laughs> All right, this is from friend of the pod, Connor, from the Twitter account, Connor Reads Claremont. He is a great fellow. And he wrote us a tome, all right? And I'm going to read it because it's well worth it. After her introduction during the course of the Dark Phoenix saga, and with her integration into the team happening in its immediate aftermath, Kitty Pride was always has always struck me as an interesting choice as a new addition to the cast. While the nature of her arrival at the Xavier Institute is dubious at best, shout out telepathic mind control. 
the issue in which she actually arrives at the school, Uncanny X-Men number 138, functions as something of a recap of the entire X-Men mythos up to this point. As told by Scott in his grief following Phoenix's Jean's death on the moon, while her arrival at the end of the book can be read as something of a hopeful turn, I'm prone to reading Uncanny X-Men 138 as a condemnation of Charles and his failures as steward of the original X-Men. The only other class of student age members of the team as Scott narrates the cascading failures and repeated traumas of his life as an X-Man. Keeping this reading in mind, Kitty's arrival at the school feels more like, to be frank, an oh fuck moment than it does something to look forward to. Coupled with the real reality that she's arrived immediately following the death of the last teenage girl Charles failed, I can't help but wonder if Claremont didn't intend Kitty to be more than the wide-eyed ingenue, but as another opportunity to point to the flaws of Charles. Good work. Uncanny X-Men 141-142 focuses on the days of future past, a dystopian future where Kitty, a pointedly Jewish character, before even Magneto's character heritage, was fully confirmed, is forced to survive in a concentration camp slash mutant ghetto. To call it bleak would be glib. Here, pass it off. I can take the next one. All right. <laughs> anyway, the next two paragraphs. And all of this, sorry for my long preamble, brings us to Uncanny X-Men number 143, in which Kitty, a child, left alone at the mansion, is attacked by a dimension invading, oh boy, Nagari demon, which is a whole other thing born of... Ch- Chuck's failures to protect support his wards. I love it when people call Charles Chuck. It's my favorite. Skipping over the plot device of Jewish girl is left alone in the first place because it is Christmas. The fact that Kitty sent to a school to supposedly learn and grow and be safe is immediately endangered by a goddamn demon. When she ultimately comes out on top, it is a close call. My question about time, huh? No, that's actually, an, I'm not just saying that. To you both is this. Is it better to emotionally invest in Uncanny X-Men number 143 as a sigil of Kitty's heroism, or are there benefits to derive from reading it as an omen for the fate that awaits the latest child left in Xavier's care? How do the how do these readings characterize the rest of Kitty's arcs across the Claremont run and beyond? And perhaps more bluntly, is Kitty Pride a tragic hero? What a thoughtful and provocative question. Yeah. Why doesn't everyone put that work into our questions? Like, yeah. y'all, the bar on. has just been bar has just been raised. Glenn, you're no longer allowed to ask if we just know about something at the end as a barb. You have to write us an essay, <laughs> laying out everything you know about whatever we're talking about, regardless <laughs> of if you've read it or not, Glenn. I expect it on my desk by Monday. Exactly, and proofread, and I would like five signatures from friends showing that they read over and signed off on your work. <laughs> Oh my god. He's <laughs> no. Anyway, what do you think? Do you think that there's benefits to be gathered here from looking at this as a, a bit of a dark omen for everything that's gonna come? I'm not gonna lie. I had not read it that way at mm-hmm. all before this, but I've been thinking about it all day since Connor sent it our way. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really, really interesting reading. I'm not gonna lie, I think I'm a little more prone to see Charles as like kind of a bitch than like a villain if that makes sense like <laughs> yes mm-hmm. i genuinely think that charles has these kids best interest at heart it's just that he's like such a narcissist and such an asshole that like he genuinely believes whatever is best for him is also best for them and and so i think 
there's definitely an element to Kitty Pride's character of being invited into this narcissist's world and therefore not being protected. But I don't think she's a tragic character because, at least to me, Kitty doesn't seem to be quite as fucked by Charles as that first <laughs> class, you know? That mm-hmm. first set of five, they need therapy so bad yeah. because of Charles. But I think Kitty has a lot of buffers in her life. She has Wolverine. She has Storm. She, Because she gets invited into a primarily adult cast, she has emotionally mature people that protect her from Charles in a mm-hmm. way that I don't think that first set of teenagers did. Nope. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it because they basically went in the bear but she had people who'd been through before, so they were able to guide her and prevent her from becoming the same tragic character they they were. Because I've never looked at Kitty as a tragic character. I think she's a character who's done the best she can with what's happened to her. Like you can look at parts parts of like Jean Grey's history and say that she's a tragic character. Look at parts of Scott's history and say that he's a tragic character. I've never felt that for Kitty, and the way this story is framed, especially, I think that's the idea that this is some sort of, you know, omen towards what's going to happen. I feel like it's something below subtext where it's something that only comes with the benefit of time and experience and seeing where this eventually went. It definitely wasn't something that I think was planned there from the beginning. I think at best, maybe it's just like to point out like, Oh, look, they just look at how like thoughtless it was to just leave her home alone because that's really rude (laughs) to just leave the one Jewish girl home just because it's Christmas that but I think that's about where it stops I don't think it plays in any deeper than that until you get to the stories in the future and you start to look back but that's not intentional text to me that's just using further context later down the line to draw more conclusions from something that you've already read so if that makes sense, I just it's something that I think was definitely meant to be a triumphant heroic moment. And that's the way I read it. But I see how you can pull those other conclusions from it as well, just based on everything that happens after. I agree. And I think that's half the fun of yeah. these old X-Men issues is that there are so many readings. It's such a dense text. Yeah, this is um one of the st- I don't feel like it's over text necessarily i think it's something that's inferred from later on like the the cool thing about comics is they just go on for so long that the history becomes so storied and so so varied and it, it can add to text that comes in earlier you know like once you see where a story's going you can go back and add things even if they weren't intended there you can add things to that reading because you know every time you read through something it's subjective based on your own experiences and if you've experienced what the future holds then it's going to change how you look at the older stories. So I can definitely see knowing where things go, getting a little bit more of an ominous omen here, you know, from just, oh, Charles is just reckless again. I definitely don't think it was intended necessarily that strongly in the first writing or the first reading of it, but I can definitely understand how this came to be. And I promise I had a much longer and more thought out spiel than that, but we just lost it because of audio problems. So I apologize. I I promise Connor I put a lot of work into that answer. <laughs> um I'm I was also very intelligent off mic too. Um you're just gonna have to take my word <laughs> for it. Up. Um 
but there there was definitely like 30 minutes of audio removed from this I'm where i i was screaming. deeply intelligent and thought provoking and just sadly all you got was my tomfoolery and my little earnest moment about why I like characters being religious that See, you could all deal with. This is why we fight. This is, this is something happens to you like, oh, and under the bus time, let's go. Bam, bam, bam. And we're friends because we both love titties. I swear to fucking God. You and I, we're not so different, Spider-Man. I wish I'd never shared that meme. I'm going back in time and shooting myself. So funny. So funny. Oh. <sighs> Dear listener, thank you for being part of our inside joke. We're not going to explain. <laughs> it's a good way just, to sum up this whole podcast, frankly. Yeah, just inside jokes that we don't explain. Yeah, We have a fun time. I hope you do, too. And if you like that fun time and you want to hear more from us... <laughs> Ooh, all, the, yeah, all the off-camera stuff we, we have the, <laughs> we, we actually didn't lose it it's just special you have exactly. to dm us about it exactly it's actually a patreon exclusive um pay me four hundred dollars a week and you can have the before we push record recordings where all the juiciest bits come out honestly worth it for four hundred dollars a week honestly uh, honestly yeah that's where the real spice comes out that's where we talk about liking comics written by the toms um <laughs> and we're canceled thank you for that i appreciate it this has been the final episode of the comics collective i <laughs> can see the hordes coming down the street now um oh is that gavroche in the front oh what a charming oh my little man. god poor little guy's dead as a doornail um if you like these antics feel free to follow our twitter account at cmx collective or you can find each of us at at Dallas underscore comics, at Ann Comics, and at Lexi Taylor underscore one, two, three. And if you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and give us a five-star review and we'll read it off on the show like... Whoever wants to write one next week. Oh, yeah. You We're little so charmers. Awesome. We love you. Yeah. We appreciate all the reviews and all yeah. the love. Good people. And honestly, if you don't leave a review, we still appreciate the fact that you're here. It's awesome. It is true. It's been really fun to build this little community. And the show has grown a lot over the year. And we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Um, finally, feel free to email us with your questions, comments, and up until December 27th, if you send us in a two-minute audio of what you think the best comic of 2021 was, it will be included in our big wrap-up episode for the year. <laughs> that fifth Wednesday of December. Woo. Does it have to be a comic that came out in 2021 or just one they read in 2021? It has to come out in 2021 because otherwise the answer is from hell for everybody. And that would be a very boring show. <laughs> I'm suing for emotional damages. And I am suing right back because you loved it. Take that. Yeah. <laughs> counter, counter sue. Counter sue. Uh, yeah, deserved. My bad. <laughs> so true. Did you say? Did you say the site? The the email address? I did, and I told them to send us audio clips. Okay. 
Sorry. See, my memory is like a goldfish. Two seconds. That's why these shorter comics are good for me, because I finish one issue and then I can immediately forget about it. Perfect. But anyways, see you next week for our episode on Change of Plans. We're doing Hawkeye next week. Bam, bam, bam. It's going to be so cool, bro. Christmas comic. Bro. 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 It's going to be I awesome, I am going bro. to do so many accents, bro. <laughs> oh, my God. This is going to be either the best experience of my life or the most painful experience of my life, bro. Bro. We're reading 22 issues, three days, bro. Get <laughs> How many track. bros are we going to fit in? Bro, too many, bro. <laughs> Get the tracksuit, bro. I'm getting the tracksuit. All right. Bro. We will be back next week in tracksuits reading Matt Fraction and David Aha's Hawkeye, bro. Bro, it's so good, bro. <laughs> I can't wait to see you then. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.